He is a man that has, I would say, a lot of power. The Lord has um, called him, and I consider him a fellow Canadian. Amen? Amen, everyone? Amen. Come on, you Americans. I want to uh, introduce uh, a Pastor Kinley Palmer. He is our regional coordinator uh, for Nevada, uh, Utah, and newly uh, Arizona. Um, he is a former pastor of the Sparks Seventh-day Adventist Church in Reno. And um, he's truly a man of God. You know, when I came here, I saw in Pastor Palmer um, a friend, someone that I could talk to. You know, as ministers, sometimes it's very difficult. You don't know who to talk to. But it's um, just a great joy to discover a Canadian friend of mine <laughs> that I could talk to. And um, Pastor Palmer is uh, a man of God. He's a man with a mission. And I believe that he has a message for such a time as this. After our youth choir, the next voice that you will hear is that of Pastor Kinley Palmer.
I want to say thank God for our young people. Excuse me? I don't hear anything coming from that side. Hello? I said I'm thanking God for our young people. Thank you very much. I'm glad they are here when they could be somewhere else. So I'm thankful to see. They say you can measure the healthiness of a church by its babies and its young people. Okay. Can you still hear me? I don't care if you don't see me as long as you hear me. <laughs> when you've been in this situation as long as I have, you don't mind. Amen. Well, happy Sabbath, abundant life. How are you doing? Who's glad to be alive and well in the name of Jesus? Now, I want you to do something that we do in, that I've read in Revelation chapter 7. I want you to stand, or every section to stand up. Because this is practice for heaven. Come on, everybody. Don't be stiff. Don't too conservative. Get up in the house of the Lord. My Bible tells me that John saw an unnumbered multitude standing on the sea of glass. How many of you are planning to stand on the sea of glass? Okay, if you didn't put your hands up, Pastor, we can pick them out. Is there, you got closed circuit cameras in here? Okay. And the Bible tells us that they were praising God. Now, I know the good ladies were up here trying to get your praise. I like to get my praise on in the car. So when I come into the house of God, I'm ready to go. Sometimes the praise in the car is sometimes better than the service in the church. Hello. So this is Sea of Glass time. And you are the amen section. Who are you? Amen. I can't hear you. Amen. All right. You are the hallelujah section. Who are you? Hallelujah. Again? Hallelujah. Now, I know the conservatives don't like this, but this is biblical. And you are, praise the Lord. Who are you? Praise okay, so when I point to you, we want to send a message to hell that God's church is alive and well. Are you alive? Are you well? Yeah. What about you? Yeah. And what about you? Yeah. And what about you? Yeah. I didn't hear you. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Amen. We're ready to have church. Sit down. It's good to be among the living and not the dead. Hello? I bring you greetings from the... My lovely wife, Lorraine, who I'm trying to get to come up here, but she's really loving Arizona. And I told her not to forget Nevada, Nevada, Utah. So hopefully she'll be here in the next few weeks. I want to say thank you to Pastor Madden. Um, I didn't maybe share with some of you, I am a Canadian citizen as well as working on the American one. And I'm British and I'm Caribbean and I can be anything at any time. So pray for me. Pastor Madden, I'm so glad that you and your lovely wife came to our church here. 
And I want you to salute your pastor for me. Let's, let's give him a round of praise. Thank you so much. I also bring you, from your, bring you greetings from, of course, the regional churches here in Nevada, Utah, and also in Arizona. I want to just plug convocation. Regional convocation will be here in Las Vegas, August 29th through 31st. And I want you to be ready. We happen to have a, a gentleman by the name of Pastor Harold Goodlow. Does some of you know him? Hello. Former pastor of this church. He will be our main speaker. We are trying to work on the, the guest speaker. The theme will is let everything that have breath do what? Amen. Also, we're bringing a team of young people, folks from um, Arizona, up here to join you that weekend. They're talking about fundraising, so, and they also want to challenge you to a mini Bible Bowl. Some of you don't sound excited about that. And they also want to do a basketball, but they want to come up here to show the, the camaraderie, and you're going to get to meet some new people. They're excited about that, and so am I. So I'm looking forward to that going forward. Now it's time to praise God. Let's pray and uh, talk to him that his Holy Spirit will speak to us. Loving Father, as we enter into this season so commercially known as Easter, where bunnies and eggs are elevated above the reason for this season. We want to go to the cross this morning. Because at the cross, at the cross is where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. So Lord, we've come to lift up Jesus higher and higher. We're thanking God that we serve a Savior who, as the song says, can hold us now. Bless us and be with us as we open your word. And that we'll be very careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. What book did I say? Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Special emphasis on verse 5. When you have it, say amen. amen. Now it came to pass after these things that God did what with Abraham? Yes. Tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, then he said, take now your son, your only son, who? Whom you love and go to which land? Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. Verse 3. So Abraham rose late in the morning. Are you sure about that? 
Just checking to see who's reading the Bible. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place where God had told him. Verse 4. Then on the third day, which day? Third day, keep that in your mind. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go up yonder to do what? Have mercy. I think anywhere we go, we should worship God. Is that right? Go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. I'm going to stop it at verse 5. Before I go any further, I just want to acknowledge the members of the Sparks Church who have since come to uh, Las Vegas, and I want you to pick on them, and if they're here one more time, you make sure they become members here. Is that okay? Okay, James and Debbie, wave your hand. Okay, Maddie, this is your church. Church, behold your, your family. Family, behold your church. Is that okay? All right. Amen. How many times have you sat in a darkened room and watched a true-to-life drama based upon a true story? And you find yourself, as you're watching this drama play out itself, you become connected and riveted to what's going on. But as you developed and you watched this program going on, this, this drama com coming to play, there's one character that usually you find you can connect with. That character seems to understand something about you. You see, it's true to life. This is not fiction. This is the real deal. And you connect with that individual, and that individual seems to understand and knows you. So now you go from casual observer to transfixed, participant. Instinctively, you want to get involved in the plot, but you can't. The only thing you can do is observe. I want to talk about, this is the first room. In the second room, which I'm about to tell you, one of the things that you don't know what's going on in the first room, you cannot do anything about what's going on on the TV, although you're glued to it. Come on, come on, don't do this, don't do that. You're one intervene. Have I got, are you feeling me this morning? Huh? And please don't go thinking about any programs that you should not be thinking about in the church. You don't know how the story will end. You're in room number one. All you can do is watch and hope and pray that your character will live happily ever after. Now come with me to another room. And let me paint a picture on the IMAX screen of your intelligence and your imagination. This room is in eternity past. In that room are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost watching another true life drama. This time, it is played out on the flat screen TV of the prophetic past, present, and future. What are they watching in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8? It is the perfected plan of salvation. 
What kind of plan? One that is filled with mystery and intrigue. A plan created that no man or human mind can conceive. It is a dramatic production of risk and rescue, tragedy or triumph. A plan laid out before the foundation of the world. Observe how each member watches with conviction of heart and interested, interest as how this thing is played out in three parts. Here we have a man called Abraham, his son called Isaac, and they are watching what will culminate on Mount Moriah. I want to suggest to you this morning, my theme is, and we will come back to you. What did I say? And we will come back to you. The objective of this morning's sermon is to reveal the heart of God. Sometimes we think about the Savior, Jesus. But do we know how God himself, the Father, feels about us? How many of you would like to know? Anybody? One, two, three, four. Uh, yes, I see some. Mm-hmm. Okay. How does God reveal his heart? Sermon title, and we will come back to you. We shall observe three things about this story and how the heart of God works through Abraham. Number one, in the selection of Abraham. What did I say? The selection of Abraham. God's heart revealed in number two, the sacrifice made of Abraham. What did I say? The sacrifice made of Abraham. Number one, the selection of Abraham. Number two, the sacrifice made by Abraham. And God reveals his heart in the celebration of Abraham. What did I say? In the celebration of Abraham. And I have a rule at Sparks. I don't let anyone sleep in my service. That's right, I said that. Don't have, I don't know that I can perform any miracles if any of you fall off your, your bench or something like that and drop dead. We need to be alive and present and intent with serving God today. Is that okay? Yeah. How does God reveal his heart to us? It is interesting to know that after the entrance of sin, among the men that succeeded Adam and shone as bright lights, we have three luminaries in the New Old Testament that we all think about and we all know about. There was Abel, there was Enoch, and there was Noah. How many of you have heard of those three, three, three individuals? Uh -huh. Abel was good, and he offered sacrifices according to God's will. But he offered sacrifices for himself. Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God, and one fine day he found himself walking on streets of gold. He was an individual whose walk with God is where our walk should be. And then there was Noah. Oh, yes. Noah, we all know about Noah. The Bible says that Noah was found righteous. God blessed Noah because he was found righteous. He didn't say the family was. He said Noah was found righteous. So what's the lesson here? Sometimes God will place someone in your family and because of them, you get the blessings. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. Now of these three, it's, it's interesting that although they were chosen by God, 
in relation to what was lost by Adam, yet God does not use any of them as instruments in the plan of salvation. I'm going somewhere with this. Surely, if God is going to look for somebody that's going to be instrumental in the salvation of human beings, I think that Abel, Enoch, and Noah would be good examples. How many of you agree? Would you agree? Were they great? Were they wonderful? Did one give his life? Yes, they did. But let me show you something. What does he do? God goes, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he decides to look somewhere else. Where does God go? Now, of all the places God would go, to, could, could have gone to find somebody who was going to help out with the plan of salvation, he goes to the most heathen, idolatrous, region of the then known world, a place called Ur. How many of you have heard of that place? Ur of the Chaldees. He goes to Babylon of all places to find somebody who is going to promote and live and preach and do something about the plan of salvation. Don't you think that's a little strange? Can you get a clean thing out of a dirty situation? Uh-uh. He goes to Ur. He goes to find somebody who could worship him in spirit and truth. Now, let me give you a little black history here. Is that okay? I'm going to tell you anyway. Before the British and the Europeans divided up what we know as the Middle East, Babylon and Ur of the Chaldees were Canaanite territories. And if you know anything about genealogy, Canaan was the son of who? Canaan was the son of Ham. So you all don't know your black history. Say Canaan was the son of Ham. Nimrod was a, a, was a, a, was a, a, a descendant of Ham, Canaan, and also, And he was the mightiest. He was the one that built the first cities and established the first empire. Ooh. You didn't know we had some biblical roots there, huh? Amen, somebody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And Babylon was part of the territory owned and ruled by Nimrod, our great, great ungodly grandfather. Pray for him. God goes to Ur of the Chaldees to find Abraham, the idol worshiper, he was in stark contrast to Abel, to Enoch, and to, and to, and to Noah. God reminds Abraham, God, later on, God reminds Israel in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, in case you think you are so righteous and you are so clean, let me remind you where you came from. In case you think you've been a 15th generation Adventist and you vegetarian eating, Sabbath keeping, whatever you want to call yourself, let me remind you that your daddy... Ooh, he's getting personal now. He's mine too. Let me remind you that your mother was a liar and your daddy was a thief. Adam and Eve took what was not theirs and tried to lie so none of us are clean. Oh, I'm hurting, some, I'm hurting some egos here this morning. 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, Paul lists 10 things that will keep the unrighteous out of God's kingdom and reminds the believers, as such were some of you. How many of you are glad for the grace and the mercy of God this morning? Brought you from where you were to where you are now. Amen, somebody. In the selection of Abraham, what lessons can we learn about the heart of God? It is this. When God is so willing to save us, he will descend down, pull us out of the abyss of sin or snatch us from the epicenter of iniquity to save us. God will go so far. He doesn't mind mingling with the messy, fraternizing with the foul. If God can take a hardcore, idol-worshipping, street-smart, a money-clad businessman like Abraham, and he's drop-dead, super-fine sister called Sarah, which means princess. Hello? If God can call a t-shirt covering, pants sagging, bling-bling sounding, tattooed-wearing nephew called Lot, can I make it plain this morning? Out of the Harrens, the Las Vegases, the London, the Torontos, I don't care what city you came from, Yazoo, Mississippi. If he can take you out of where you think you came from to bring you where you need to go, he can do anything with anybody. Amen, somebody. What does he do? He endows them with capabilities greater than they could ever dream of. And now, Abraham, I, Abraham, Sarah, and Lot are on their way to Canaan. I can hear him singing. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, take my feet, touch my heart, speak to me. If you can use anything, you can use me. Amen, somebody? Amen. The late Chinese Christian dissident, dis, um, dis, dissident and theologian, Watchman Nee, in his book, Changed Into His Likeness, had this to say about God's heart in the selection of Abraham. Speaking of Abel, Enoch, and Noah, those, none of those who preceded Abraham did God set himself to deal with the situation created by sin. Abraham was the first person, and look where God went to get him. So let me tell my Seventh-day Adventist friends, you don't have, and I don't have any pedigree. God can choose who he wants, when he wants, how he wants, any time, any place, and that it means a woman can stand behind here and pastor a church. How dare we question the Holy Spirit? John 8, verse 56 tells us that while Jesus was on earth, he made the statement to the Pharisees, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You see, God reveals his heart through this story by the way he selects you, transforms you, calls you by your name, regardless of what that name was. You see, you can start off as Abraham and then become uh, Abraham. Huh? You can start off as a Jacob, which means supplanter and crooked, and you can become an Israel. You can, be, you can start off as a woman who has a personal issue with blood, but then Jesus calls you daughter. Are you with me this morning? God can do anything with anybody, anytime. Now, as the drama intensifies, God has now selected Abraham. But you see, 
It's one thing to be selected. How many of you know you've been selected by God? How many of you are still not sure, trying to work it out? What is he doing in my life? Stick around and wait and see. You will find out in time. God reveals his heart, number one, in the, in the selection of Abraham. Now the drama begins to, enter, to, to intensify because now Abraham has to move from the joys and the privileges that come with selection to the sacrifice. Stay with me. In the biblical account recorded in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 5, God decides to push the boundaries of Abraham's faith how many of you have had your faith pushed, tried, and tested? One, two, three, four, five. I guess you all are doing all right. <laughs> Fifty years have transpired between the promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. The brother is 100 years old at the time of the promise. God tells him, you're going to have a baby. And you know, Sarah, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> tell me something else, you know, kind of thing. Isaac was to be the son of promise, Abraham's heir and only begotten son. Isaac, his beloved son, the one whom gynecologists, my friends, in the medical profession, once told Sarah would be nothing more than a prenatal wish or a postnatal impossibility. What are you here for, madam? I was told I was going to have a baby. Yeah, right. Isaac, the one who caused his poor elderly mother to wake up one morning feeling sick and nauseous when she didn't think God was going to do what he was going to do, and tells Abraham, rush me to the emergency room. I don't know what's going on. And after a battery of tests, the doctors find there's not just one heartbeat, but two. My God can do anything. Hello? That little baby, two months old, premature. God can do something. God can do anything. I just stopped by to tell some of you what the doctors did not know, what the politicians do not know, what the postmodern skeptics don't know, or those who are masquerading as Seventh-day Adventist Christians and still don't know that when it comes to doing the impossible, that causes the unexplainable and defies the inconceivable, my God! Who's God? Claim him as your own. Say, my God. Make it personal. My God. Be selfish if you have to. But he's my God. He ain't yours. He's mine. Mm-hmm-hmm. My God. The one who said, I am that I am. The one who existed in the unbegun beginning before the beginning began. Don't worry about that. You didn't get that one. Huh? Mercy. My God, the one who existed in the unbegun beginning before any beginning was begun. My God, who the late great preacher C. Gardner Taylor once remarked, he is the one who's always coming where he's going to. Ooh. He is the one who dwells in the faraway nearby. He may be our father up in heaven, but when you need him to put food on the table, when you need him to put clothes on your back, when you need him in the midnight hour for when weeping endures for the night, my God will be there to bring you joy in the morning. Amen, somebody. 
My God, the one who's God all by himself, the one who spoke and it was done, who commanded and it stood fast. What they don't know is that my God, Ephesians 3, is able to do exceedingly. Say exceedingly. exceedingly. And abundantly. abundantly. Above. Above. All. All. We. Or think. We don't have a God that we can keep in a box. He's beyond that. Now as the sun makes its ascent into the eastern skies and the mountain peaks of Moriah loom clearer and much, much larger on the horizon, Abraham, Isaac, and the two young men set out to make their three-day journey to the base camp. Imagine, if you will, the official expressions of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as each one locks into this situation. Abraham is now beginning to feel the paternal weight of what God the Father has asked him to do. Here we see God the Father resonating with Abraham's dilemma. As they're in the room, I can see the Father looking at Jesus and looking at Abraham and Jesus looking back at his Father. Notice how the pre-incarnate Jesus begins to connect himself with Isaac's reality. What Isaac is about to be faced with and what he will one day later experience once he becomes human being. Are you with me this morning? Then we've got the Holy Spirit struggling because it is he who must put the seed of the baby in the virgin's womb. It is he that must protect Jesus from being killed at two two years old and under. It is he that must teach and train and get ready for, get Jesus ready for his ministry. He's got to do all this and it is he that's got to stay in the garden of Gethsemane when my Lord is wrestling for your salvation and my salvation. All three of them are involved in your life. You see, it's one thing to be selected by God but it's quite another when obedience demands sacrifice. I heard a preacher a few days ago talk about obedience and sacrifice. Trust and obedience are one and the same. God doesn't want our trust if he doesn't have our obedience. Amen, somebody? What lessons did God desire to teach Abraham? What lessons is he desiring to teach us this morning? Number one, what did I say? Number one that although Isaac was the most precious gift God had given him, Abraham had to learn that whatever gifts are given to us by God, we must never let the gift become more precious than the giver. Oh, you're looking fine. You got a measure of health. You got a car to drive in, a job to go to, food on the table. You might even have a few cents in the bank. But then when that becomes more than God, we've got a problem. Your significant other becomes more important to you than God, we've got a problem. Lesson number two. Never let your idol, never let your Isaac become your idol. Your Isaac can be anyone, anything, or those things that God blesses you with. It's a terrible, dangerous thing to take the blessing and the talents of what God has given us and I worship it and put it above him. Oh, I'm a 15th generation Adventist. I have to be saved. Lord, you need to listen to me. Do you know where I've come from? Yes. 
Lord says, I know where you came from. High-class dirt and high-pedigree dust. Hello, somebody. Some dust covers itself up in a good suit or a nice dress and comes into church like they all this and a bag of chips. But at the end of the day, we're dust. How do you spell dust, saints? Now, some of you didn't go to school. What's going on here? <laughs> How do you spell dust? D-U-S-T. What is in the middle of those two words, the D and the T? Come on, confess now. Us. Have mercy. Uh-huh. Dust. Number three. God is particular and specific in what he wants and expects of us. Ishmael and Eliezer were sons of Abraham, but they were not of God's choosing. And like Cain, God will never accept anything that is second rate or second best. It's all or nothing with him. Some of us want to give God our spare time. Help me preach. I'm preaching to myself. God wants our precious time. Because if we can't give him the precious time, why should he give us eternity? You know, one of the things, Pastor Madden, that's baffled me about churches as a pastor, they want the sermon to finish quickly, but spend more time in the lobby area gossiping and having fellowship than the sermon. Don't look, don't look innocent. I, I used to do it too. I've often wondered about that. There's nothing wrong with fellowship. And I don't believe a sermon should be eternal to be good. Amen? Amen? Amen. 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 I, can preach for, I can preach at 2 o'clock if you want. Uh -uh. I'm hungry and I'm working and you're relaxing. Come on. Now, as Jesus locks into the minds and emotions of Isaac, he sees Isaac standing alone with his aged father. Isaac loves and idolizes his father. And he sees that the altar is ready. And the knife is about to be sharpened, but there is no lamb. Isaac is on an emotional roller coaster. So you would be if you were 16 or 17 years old, and your father or your mother, well, the father in this case, takes you to, to a place that you're familiar with, but there is no sacrifice. Have you noticed you're not hearing anything from Sarah in the story? Ladies? You know what would have happened? If... Sarah got wind of what Abraham was going to do. It wouldn't have been child abuse. It would have been spouse abuse. Hello, ladies. Amen, somebody. You can do what with my child? Are you crazy? You touch him, I touch you. Mm -hmm. We know how we feel about the folks we love. Is that right? Uh, Shakespeare said hell have no fury like a woman scorned fellas if you want to forget if you want to remember your wife's birthday or anniversary forget it just one time you will never forget 
beyond that. Trust me, I know I've lived to tell the tale. <laughs> Sarah is quiet. She's not, she doesn't even know what's going on. And here's another lesson too. There are some things that God reveals to you and to you alone, and you are not to tell anybody else. Until he tells you to speak. Isaac is on a roller coaster, torn between the frustration of being faithful to death. Young people, let me suggest to you, when you're in that college, that school situation, when you're away from home, your faith is going to be tested because God is going to demand things of you that are not popular, that are inconvenient, that might even help, hurt, and kill you. But you need to stand for God because his specialty is in resurrections. He's got that turmoil going on in his mind. He has the right to see adulthood. He has the right to live and perpetuate the father's genealogy. As Christ witnessed the turmoil in Isaac's mountaintop experience, could it be that for the first time in eternity, Jesus begins to understand the trauma that will be his when he gets to Gethsemane? Hmm? It's reasonable. What well, I'm glad to tell you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that in the Mount Moriah story, I see a dimension of how the heart of God works. God shares something with Abraham that's intimate. God shares. It's perplexing and paradoxical. Where am I going with this? When I think of who God is, and I ask myself the question, how is it possible for the mind and the feelings of a God who is infinite, of a God who is holy, of a God who is clean, of a God who is righteous altogether, amen somebody, whose ways are, per and are perfect and past finding out, how could he dare to invite those, someone like us who are finite and feeble? How could he invite the likes of us who are unholy and unrighteous, who are diseased and dirty, decrepit and debased? How is it possible for him to allow us to enter into the inner sanctum of his most private thoughts and deepest feelings? He's going to tell Abraham what's on his heart about the plan of salvation. We don't tell secrets to our best friends. God takes Abraham and shares with him something that would have blown your mind and mine. Why? Because his heart is full of love. The power, what kind of God does this? who chooses to risk being divinely vulnerable. He's trusting Abraham to carry out on Mount Moriah, knowing Abraham's past. You know the brother messes up after this story, right? Amen? Amen. The bottom line is God does not divorce us in our failures. I know what I'm talking about. He doesn't leave that son or that daughter, that husband, that spouse in the mess that they're in, which they created. He continues connecting with them because his heart is big. 
I serve a big God this morning. I don't know about you. The paradox is that he who is my God, your God, our God, is able to remain steadfast, confident, unmovable. Let me suggest to you that God's heart is revealed in the way that he does not change. He is comfortable being God. When you are comfortable being something else. Did you get that? I like a God like that. Buddha can't do that for you. Allah, um, Muhammad is dead. Krishna is still trying to figure out whether, when he's going to come to his perfect utopia. Hello? But my God, have mercy. Something else. I can't even say what it is. My Bible tells me that God is immutable. Malachi 3 verse 6. I am the Lord. I do not change. That's why you and I could get up this morning, walk into this church after the mess that went down this week and maybe this morning when you were on your way here. He doesn't change. You better thank God that the person sitting next to you isn't God. This church would be empty. We don't know how to handle that kind of power. Huh? Just the thought in your mind that you don't like me, it's over. Boof. Huh? Problem solved. Huh? Attitudes changed. Huh? In the, less than the twinkling of an eye. Thank God that he's God and not you or me. Amen, somebody. He's unsearchable. Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the sometime God? Huh? What is he? Awesome. Everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He neither faints nor grows weary and his understanding is unsearchable. Revelation 15.4 tells us he is holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. He is faithful and he's true. Revelation 19 verse 11. He is everlasting. Psalms 90, verse 1 and 2 said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. When David says, shall I look up unto the hills from whence cometh my help? He wasn't looking to the hills. Because other people who don't know God, they look to the hills. He said, no, I look to the creator of the heavens and the earth. Because before the mountains were formed, from everlasting to everlasting, I am, I is, and I will be God. Now, that was bad grammar coming from an Englishman, but it, I think I make the point. Hello? No wonder the songwriter says, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder talk with me, consider all the things thy hand has made. Then sings my soul, my what? My Savior God to thee. What? I can't hear you. How great thou art. How great thou art. As I'm getting ready to wrap up, let me tell you that in rooms one and two, there's a fundamental difference between what we're watching in room number one and what God does in room number two. You see, we are observers of the plan of salvation. 
But God is the originator of the plan of salvation. You see, the whole plan of salvation is not just about the faith of Abraham. It's all about the unfailing love and gracious mercy of God. Abraham is incidental. But if you check it out, here is God putting his heart on a sleeve. They tell me that in every dramatic production, you have that song that stops the show. You have that line that makes everybody stop. If you go to Genesis 22, verses 5. Do you want to look at it again? I want to share something with you. Can I, uh, you know, I think when you come to church, you need to learn something. Is that right? So you can go to your workplace or your school and say, guess what I learned on Sabbath? What's Sabbath? I'll get that out in a minute. All right? I'm giving you an assignment. When you go back to work, uh, wherever it is you work, or if you're not working, or whatever it is you do, look at verse 5. In every dramatic production, you've got the, the show, the song that stops the show. But in this dramatic production, verse 5, um, Genesis 22, verse 5, the Bible tells us, and Abraham said to his young men, what? Stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go to yonder place to do what? But we will come back to you. That verse slapped me so hard, I had to pay attention to it. What do you mean you will come back? You're going to kill your son. I want to suggest to you, I began to realize that when God selects us, when God asks us to live a life of true faith and worship before God, there is sacrifice. How dare Abraham suggest he's going to come back? Let me suggest to you that when you worship God, no matter how bad things look, how miserable they become, if you know God as well as you could do, as well as we should do, you will understand that with the selection, there may be sacrifice, but with the sacrifice, there's going to be a celebration. When you go to worship God, you should be praising him with everything you have. He is in the midst of trial and turmoil. He's about to kill his son. Doesn't it say, thou shalt not kill? He's about to wipe God's promise to him off the face of the earth. And yet God, he, this man of God tells the people down at the bottom of the base, I'm coming back after I have worshipped God. Can you worship God when there's pain? Can you worship God and he's still loving the same whether you have anything or nothing? Can you say, when you are in the midnight hour, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say that? Can you say, I'm going to worship him? They, yet though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Can, are you there yet? Everything around you, above you, beneath you, tells you opposite. You can't see what's about to happen. But Abraham, I think he had his mind made up. And we will come back to you. The audacity of this guy. Mm. Some of us would call that presumptuous, pastor. But my Bible says faith 
is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I don't have to see it to believe it. Because if God said it, I believe it. I don't care what your opinion is. That settles it. Adventists used to be like that one time. Now we question everything and anything. Well, let me tell you something. I don't care what you think about God. It doesn't change who he is or what he's going to do. So get with the program and let's get on to glory. In the story, it's hard not to visualize Abraham and Isaac. The father and the son, spirit driven by faith, climbing Mount Moriah together. Isaac is clutching onto his aged father, the hero and love of his life. As the aged patriarch takes a step after a painful step, until they both reach the top. But then, when we look at Calvary, it's impossible not to see God the Father right there with his Son, Jesus, spurred on in faith by the Holy Spirit and love for each and every one of us as Jesus climbs Mount Calvary. The difference between the two scenes is that in one, instead of the son helping his father, this time God has to get somebody to help his son. I want to suggest to this community, we are here to help each other's children. Amen. Oh, you didn't hear me. Amen. When the parents are having a mountain to climb, they need backup. Amen. Not gossip, prayed for. Hello? Now we see the reverse. Simon of Cyrene wasn't there by mistake. Everybody needs somebody that they can lean on. As the songwriter says. Simon supports the bruised and beaten, battered and bleeding son to make it to the cross, to die for you and me. You see, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were ready to make the sacrifice so that we can one day enjoy the celebration. I thank God this morning that just as the story with Abraham and Isaac did not end right there on Mount Moriah, the good news is, saints, that with Jesus, the story did not end on Calvary. My Bible tells me that early one morning, one Sunday morning, he rested the Sabbath and woke up and the devil was so worried that he had pinned, put so many demons in front of the, of the tomb with keys. And as the story goes, he sends a legion every emptied hell out, he emptied hell of every demon to make sure that stone was not rolled away. Huh? But as the story goes, he's looking for the keys and he's checking. Have you got the keys? Yes, I've got the keys. But then early one Sunday morning, Jesus decides, okay, I've rested on my Sabbath. I've got things to do, places to go, people to see. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that he rose. He rose. 
We never speak of Jesus in past tense. It's always in present tense because he's present, active, and indicative here and now. That's why you're sitting there. Amen, somebody. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. No matter what men say, I don't care about your opinion. God is the strength and the joy of my life. He moves all pain, misery, and strife. He's promised to keep me, never to leave me. He's never come short on his word. God is, not was, not might be, not maybe, not could be, not should be. He is. Some of you look confused. He still is. Some of you don't like it, but he still is. For as the father Abraham was able to say, stay here, let me and my, my son go and worship God. I'm going to come back. I hear Jesus saying in Luke 24 verse 7, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Oh, I didn't finish telling you the story about the demons in front of the tomb. You want to hear the end of it? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Can you handle this? Yes. Pastor, can I? Thank you. I got permission. Devil sees the sunrise, sunrise coming up early that Sunday morning and he checks with his chief demon and says, have you got the keys? He said, yes, sir. I got the keys. And all of a sudden, the same dazzling bright light which God used in creation flashes from out of somewhere. And when the father calls you, you if you are a saint sleeping in Jesus, you need to recognize your father's voice. Hello? If my father ever said Kingsley, when I was messing up, I might ignore. But if he ever said Kingsley, oh, pump, and I'm not telling you what my middle name is, because I don't like it. But if he or mama ever said Kingsley, oh, Palmer, you knew that the judgment books were open. Probation had closed. And you had no mediator. Have mercy. Oh, Lord, I still got this. I, by his stripes, we are healed. Thank you, Jesus. By their stripes, we're healed. Amen? Oh, the board of education through the seat of your intelligence. Lord, have mercy. Bible says, story goes, that as the sun rises and the light hits the tomb, the demons scatter. Lucifer's in confusion. Don't know what happened. Where are the keys? Where are the keys? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, man. You looking for these? I have the keys to hell, death, and the grave. Thank you, Jesus. Are you looking for these? In other words, when he says, I will come back to you, let me go to Bethany and mess up what the funeral directors have done, because Lazarus, you're coming out today. We need to roll the stone away so that folks can experience Jesus like they never have before. We need to stop being the stumbling stone and be the stumbling block and be the stepping stone. Oh Lord, I feel like preaching this morning. Huh? He says. Let not your heart be disturbed. Be still and know that I am God. 
For in my father's house, there are a few rooms, uh -uh. many mansions, tailor-made, with no mortgage to pay, huh? with no foreclosure. Amen, somebody. A pad made out of the finest jewels the planet can provide? And you bragging about the Bellagio? Are you kidding me? Oh, I know. I'm not, I'm not giving them any publicity. This is God's time. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm coming again to prepare a place for you that where I am, I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am, I'm going to be there. What about you? Finally, for those of us who know you have been selected and are willing to make the sacrifices necessary and whatever it takes to see Jesus, I told you there was going to be a celebration. My Bible tells me that we'll be standing on the sea of glass. Don't get hung up on the 144,000. Get hung up that you made it there. We're going to spend eternity being in shock that we got there. Feel me. Am I here? Yes, you got your golden crown. You got your white robe. You got your slippers. And you're praising God. You're not sitting up in church like the frozen chosen. You're praising God. Hello, Adventists. You can't believe it. You're in shock. And when I look at someone else, I say, you mean you got there too? Huh? We will come back to you. That is what the Seventh-day Adventist church is all about. Reminding us that soon and very soon we are going to see the king. I don't care where you came from. Your Babylon, your Haran, or what it is your situation is. My God is faithful. He says he will come back. And I will leave you with one more statement and a challenge. I saw it on a sticker on a car the other day. He says, if you're, going to be, if you're going to live like there is no God, you better be right. Well, let me say that again. If you're going to live like there is no God, you better be right. For my Lord is going to come and he will not tarry. My Lord is going to come and I can't wait to see him when he descends from heaven with a whisper. Huh? Some folks think it's unsanctified when certain people shout in church. Oh, they are so undisciplined and unsanctified. What is their problem? Lord, have mercy. Watch Super Bowl. Mm? NBA, final. Some of you all had a voice but by the time that program is done, you can barely squeak. <laughs> but we come into the house of God, and all of a sudden, we become vocally challenged. <laughs> Pastor, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> We're going to have a fantastic time. I'm so looking forward to it. I get excited. I break out in the sweat. And I think what God does to reveal his heart to me, I love God. Do you love him this morning? Is he awesome? Is he wonderful? Is he powerful? Is he good? Is he patient? Is he kind? Is he merciful? 
Has he put up with you when you press his last nerve and you're still here? Amen, somebody let us pray. Father God in heaven, you reveal your heart to us. You, Father. Sometimes we think of John 3.16 in terms of Jesus. Yes, thank you, son, for connecting with the Isaac experiences of each and every one of us. Thank you, God the Father, for connecting with every father and mother and parent who is struggling to be something and do something useful in their lives with their children, be they biological or otherwise. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for not giving up on us. Somebody came into this room this morning completely discouraged, despondent, even angry. I pray, Lord, that you reveal your heart to them through what transpired on the cross of Calvary. But I'm glad it didn't stop on Mount Calvary. I'm glad we serve a living Savior. One, a high priest who feels the deepest emotions and yet can connect with us, who cannot be untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. The God who is a healer, a restorer. And so this morning, we resurrender ourselves to you. We ask you, God, I've loved many things, but I haven't loved you the way that I should or know that I could. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son. Thank you, Father, for giving us yourself. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for laboring with us. And so this morning, may someone feel your presence. And for those of us that have made commitments over and over again, it's not an emotional thing. It's got to be an intellectual thing. Agree with God and be at peace. I pray this for myself. I pray this for the leadership of this church. Strengthen them and guide them as they move forward. I pray for the members of this fine church and visitors, wherever they've come from, that today they will see you in a different light because the devil is a liar. And the only way we can prove him to be a liar is by how we live. Not when we're together, but when we're alone. So bless us, Jesus. We thank you for coming by this morning. We know, Lord, that you didn't just come on by. You stepped out and you showed out. And I want to give you thanks for allowing me, a sinner, a roach saved by grace, to tell a few words to those who might be struggling that with the selection and the sacrifice, one day there will be a celebration. If you're looking forward to that, Raise your hand where you are right now.